absolutely ridiculous. Hi fellas, how you doing? Welcome to Around the Core Squash podcast. On today's show we have Big Nico, who's going to defend himself from Sam's accusations of Nick O hanging his ass off. <laughs> 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 uh, but <laughs> Nico, you're pretty keen to defend, you're straight in, let's go. How are we doing fellas? <laughs> hey! <Shut up. laughs> hey you laughing at my phone, no? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I... Uh... I forgot that was there. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually called in at like three minutes ago, and I had to end it because I realized my name was Bobby Boucher. <laughs> I, had, I had that because it was from trying to go into some Zoom call. I didn't want to be a part of. We uh, <laughs> we don't use the video much anyway, but maybe I mean, when we. I didn't have everyone set up. Yeah, you don't use the video, right? Maybe when we make it big, we'll have uh, we'll have this. So you dress well. You took <laughs> yeah. your, sh- you took yeah, your well, shower. Yeah, well, that's why I wore this. I actually wore <laughs> this because I don't know. I just didn't want to wear a squash shirt. That's all I've been wearing every day. And uh, when you guys mentioned the party stuff, I was like just thinking about in the past <laughs> couple of years even, and I was like, oh, I remember this shirt. This shirt was has seen some good days. <laughs> the real question, based on the allegations. By Sam is, are you wearing pants? <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, I have some Lulu shorts on for now. Right. Good. Can you keep keep them on? I don't drop them below my knees or anything. It's just a little, little show. Okay. I, those girls are uptight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they, have fun. they don't know how to have real fun. Hashtag me too. Hashtag me too. Yeah. I, don't, I, I won't say anything like that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, 28 now, Nick. Getting old. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize. I know. It. I still look young, though. I still got a long, <laughs> a young look. And well, you look younger than 30. For sure. I definitely look younger than 30. Times are flying. <laughs> yeah. But you're having uh, fun. <laughs> uh, are you um, back on court yet? White Oaks actually opens today. I'm getting my first hit today. Oh, man. Happy days. March 10th. Since March 10th, get my first hit. I hit, I hit the last two days. It, is, it felt magical. Like my ankle didn't hurt. The whole year I was hurt, I, I felt unbelievable. I was flying around. I know. But I did, Peter's, I did. Luck, Peter's lucky I hit my max heart rate after about five hard minutes. And I, <laughs> I, I buried a few balls into the, into the yeah. tin. No, <laughs> yeah. Just swinging a racket without a ball, it's like I feel like my arm's loose and more mobile now. It's like. Oh, I'm gonna be slotting them in today. I can tell. <laughs> I got a big tournament today, boys. The camp. I got a couple of 15, 16 year olds uh, are gonna be pumping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I got a text today about you know uh, Mikey, Chris, Kavorkian. Yeah, he's going. He texted me at like 8 a.m. this morning, like big day today. It's this guy who's uh, our family friend, a couple years younger, who plays squash, like a men's ski player. But he's been messaging me like I. I miss squash, you know, I love it. It's funny when these guys, like, guys, like, swinging like this, you know, loving it. Those are the the type of guys. Those are the type of guys we want to get listening to the podcast, too, Nick. Like, Mikey and those kind of guys. Yeah, yeah. No, he follows PSA. He knows guys' names. I know. He links. It's hilarious. I know. We got to get him. We got to get him to listen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get it out there. All right. Crack on. I'm organized. My man. Woo! 
Okay, well, Nick, let's officially welcome you to Around the Core Squash podcast. Nick Sackvi is a, he's currently ranked 94 in the world. He's a former Cornell alum. He is a Canadian, two-time Canadian national champion. Nick, thanks a million for coming on the show. How you doing, man? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I am an avid listener of the podcast, as I should be and you'd expect. But uh, yeah, it's good to be on here, to be honest. I've been waiting for my chance to get get the call up. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Chris called me and I was busy, uh, you know, starting to move from Toronto back home. And uh, here I am today, ready to go. You're lucky your family because the last guy that <laughs> turned us down because they were busy, they're not getting on until episode 112. <laughs> good, good. Fair. Hello. Thanks for coming on, big man. How you been well, doing? I've been doing well, yeah. Um, as of now, I just uh, just moved back home to St. Catharines from Toronto, um, so that's been kind of the big new change. I've been I've been here the whole time for quarantine, but uh, or the whole you know COVID event. But it's uh, I think it's time to move back with the whole situation and the way squash is going. Um, I think I can you know do the same stuff here I could do in Toronto at the moment, and why not save some money and you know, kind of get in back into dungeon mode here at mom's house and uh, just plug away at everything I need to do to get ready to, to play again and then potential new year, right? So, uh, yeah, other than that, it's been good. And today's my first day playing squash, as I mentioned. So I'll be hitting uh, in a few hours for the first time since since uh, second week of March. So I'm excited to go crack the ball and, uh, yeah, get my heart rate up to uh, – you know, 195 plus. So I'm looking forward to that. Nick, do you have any updates from PSA in terms of when they might be getting back going again or is that still up in the air? Yeah, I, I saw one like about a week ago, I'm sure as most people have. And it was just how they were going to try and do the potential, uh, you know, lo- local localized events. Um which I'm sure is tough to do because obviously with ranking points, you know, most events, there's guys from all over the world coming to, to, to play. I mean, I've, I've mostly in my pro career stuck around North America. I've been South America and Europe to play as well, but there seems to be a similar uh, pool of guys coming through North America um, or, um, you know, guys from South America, the same, a lot of the same guys from Europe love to come over. Like the, the North American tour is usually uh, a lot of fun and you get treated well and it's, uh, they do a good job. But I mean, I'm also playing in the Challenger tour. So, which is mostly, uh, you know, I played five Ks to 30 Ks. Um, so I, I think for the top guys, I think they could definitely get those guys on court sooner than everyone else because pro sports are starting uh many have already started up and i think if they get something going you know with the glass court uh and whatever 16 man 32 32 man draw i think they can dial it down and get everyone there safely and make things uh you know safe to play in a in a big setting with no crowd obviously that'd be that'd be great but as for the tour who knows really with everyone playing fully again uh, with the crowd and all that. I, I think they're, they're, I think they're kind of month by month now with new ideas, new plans and how, how the situation's unfolding. Right. That's I can't right. wait to, to be honest. So um, I, I still, you know, just thinking about it, it actually got me, I got a little drip of sweat just go down to my elbow because I, <laughs> I, I can't wait to do something competitive. I mean, I, 
I play. I start playing golf now. Uh, every once in a while, I've probably played seven rounds. I can't stop. I can't stop shit talking the other guys on the golf course. <laughs> my my best friends from home. They, I don't think they want to play golf with me, to be honest. You know, if I, I, I'm fair, I'm I'm fairly decent golfer. Like I, you know, I shoot anywhere from like 83 to 93 in that kind of tense slot range, but. You know, I just can't stop talking trash on the golf course because it's just, I need to do something competitive. I'm, I'm, I've been, I'm at home a lot, right? Like, I live back with my mom. I mean, obviously, you see some friends, family here, there, but like, yeah, that competitive nature is, you're kind of missing, you're missing that. It's this little hole in you that, you know, it's almost a little like, I don't know, like sometimes you get a little down about obviously not being able to play and compete for so many months, right? You're thinking, oh, this is the off season anyways, but I mean, this started before the off season and now it's going to drag into, you know, the actual fall and winter when we'd be back on the court traveling, firing things up. Your buddy hacks one into the water and Nick just starts cheering. (laughs) He is the, he is Arthur, he is the worst guy to golf with. He 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 fist he fist bumps you lifting a putt out. If, if you're if you're on if you're on seventeen and and there's no ma- like we never really used to play for money or like even match play or anything. We just play our own ball, and it'd just be us and whoever else. And if if you're close and score on seventeen and you whip out a putt, Nick doesn't say all oh, hard luck. He fist bumps <laughs> as he walks to the next tee. <laughs> Hey, there's. Hey, it's a good feeling though. He's you talking like this is COVID related. He's been doing this forever. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. Fair I'm enough. I'm just a- to be honest. Fair enough. I also am a helper. Some guys take my 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 chirping, my my shite talking as as uh you know like I'm rubbing it in their face, but I'm actually just telling you know keep your head down. You but are you, oh, are you going, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you going to the 18th and oh, it's it, you lipped out. It's my honor. <laughs> oh, sorry. but you know, oh, I saw a speck of dirt on your ball. You should probably clean that next time. Whatever you could say, anything. It doesn't have to be. People take it the wrong way. I think sometimes. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can only assume he learned it from you as a kid, Chris. I mean, you're the older brother. You must have set the example growing up as a teenager. <laughs> So yeah. anything that he does now has got to be your I, fault, right? Yeah, I set the example and then he doubled it. <laughs> I, I blew past it after a certain age. I, I, I molded into my own. You're raising the bar to new heights. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Lovely. As every younger brother should do, right? In, in many ways. I learned from his mistakes and uh Yeah. He's the older brother. You want to, I mean, especially with squash. I mean, if you want to dive into that, we definitely had some battles. Like uh, when I was 16 to 19, I'd say we definitely had in that range. We probably had a good three years of some good squash playing against each other. And that was, uh, yeah, that was fun times. He acts like, he acts like I still don't got it. I'd imagine they were I nice, say, friendly affairs. I'm, right? yeah, I'm not saying he doesn't have it, but he just doesn't have enough. <laughs> but uh, rumor has it, rumor yeah. has it that Nick, where the first time he beat Chris, he was a little hungover. I no, it's hey, fair enough, fair enough. He was a little hungover. Are you talking about the Cornell incident? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one year, I must have been, I must have been grade twelve. So. You know, I was 17 or, or so, and uh, 
um, made the trip down to Cornell with, I think my dad brought a bunch of, bunch of guys to, to play with them or, or something. And, uh, and I was, I was the NCAA compliance isn't listening to this. Yeah. (laughs) I I went down to play with my brother. I mean, seriously though, but I, you know, I played Chris in front of the team, the, the girls are playing, the guys are playing. And, uh, it was it was like the Saturday or the Sunday after we've already played other people a match, and uh, yeah, they had a party, and I remember I, you know, everyone was having a good time. Chris Chris is in college, right? He's uh, in his wild years, so he thinks he can have as much fun as he wants, and then he's got to play the the young buck the next day, and <laughs> he's not ready for the energy I was bringing. So I took him out like three love in front of Cornell. Team and he was like the number one at the time. I'm, I'm still you know, going there in the future type thing, and uh, yeah, I'll, I remember that. And his excuse was uh, he had way too way more drinks than I did, kind of thing. Probably five times more. But it, my point is, I still I still got my first win off him, and that set the bar though. That's many wins came after that, hungover <laughs> or not, is all I'm saying. That's the big question. Have you ever lost to him since? Oh. No, after that, for sure. We, we played, I, I had beaten them maybe a couple times or, you know. That, but that would have been, so that was the tough part. That would have been my last year of, of school. And then obviously as soon, I, I stopped playing competitively. So that like honestly could have been the last, uh, I could have been the last time um, I had a chance. Well, you, yeah. Well, you, yeah I then I, yeah, then I was out. I was out injured for half a year that yeah. year too. So I had no, sh- no shot. I might have beaten him before that, but that was like in practice, just me and him. But that was like the first time in front of people. So that's that's the one that counts the most, obviously. But he also, I remember at one point I was like, "Hey, I'm I, in my head. I'm like, I'm better than Chris now. <laughs> I'm definitely better than him." <laughs> I, I was, I was, you know, I was like. When I was 16, you know, I won nationals that year. I was on a roll. I came 10th at senior nationals, and I was, you know, chiming, and my squash was was great. I was uh, a young, confident guy, I'm sure. And I remember, uh, like, I playing him in practice. I'm like, hey, I, I got him. I got him kind of thing. And then we played in a local event at White Oaks in the men's open, and we both made finals. The Cornell team came up to play and stay at White Oaks and have a good time. And I was still back back at home. We played in the final, and he beat me like 13-11 in the fifth. And I remember how destroyed I was after that, thinking, ah, the whole time I, you know, I should have beaten him and this and that. And, he, you know, and I'm like 5% body fat, shredded, and he's like looking like he just <laughs> blew up from a kegger the night before, right? And this hey, can I, can I add something to the record? I had about 20 beers the night before too. So <laughs> not to rub salt in the wounds, but. Hey, I probably had 10. No, no. You went, I think you did a pilgrimage walk the morning of the final. Yeah, I was, I, yeah. So the last time I ever lost to Chris, for sure, I was 17. Once I was 18, there was no, no slowing down. But the, but the overall was, record is still about 100,000 to about 10 in my favor. Yeah. For sure. I, w- I mean, if we could play now all the time, I'd definitely make dent in that. But Why do you think I live so far away? I know. Makes sense. It's understandable. Okay, so the one of the reasons we brought you on was um, to get a 
we need we need a full defense of these uh or or maybe you don't maybe maybe you just plead guilty but um Sam Cornett said at the Pan Americans and this is Cayman Islands Nick no uh the Pan Am games last year was where you all where you all lived in the same house uh last year we were in in Peru in the same apartment together the year before was Cayman Islands at a different like at a hotel so that's yeah she's talking about the Pan Ams last year okay so she she um Sam said Sam said she she cannot count the number of times that she saw your butt over the course of the week and um you know I just lived with you for a week and it hangs out every once in a while you know uh is I know it's been a move for a long time for you but you know what uh what what little light lighten the mood around the lighten the mood around the team apartment or what that's a good way of putting it yeah so (laughs) in in pan ams in the athlete village they had must have been 10 or so high-rise condo style apartments um and obviously what happened was i mean we weren't sure the the rooming setup but it was just we had one apartment the guys and girls together there were two single rooms and two two uh, rooms that had two people sharing the room with little single beds. Um, So obviously it's Andrew Schnell, myself, or sorry, it was uh, three guys, three girls. So it's Andrew Schnell, myself, Holly Naughton, and uh, Danielle Eterno in one room. And then the singles were Sean Delier and Sam Cornett. And obviously, you know, all good good squash players. Everyone knows the Canadian contingent by now. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was, there was less downtime. There was a lot of a lot of time commuting on buses to and from the courts and training and and you know not having too much free time. Like we were never really in the apartment sitting there together. But when it happened, uh, I don't know. I wanted to spark some interest. I didn't want people to be bored sitting there bad. There was a few down, you know, a, a bit of a downer vibe at times. So yeah, I. I'd spark it up. I mean, Sam's actually quite nice because she just said I dropped the backside and would show off the derriere. But I'm not saying it showed more than that. But I definitely did more than that on a regular basis. Uh, so maybe she's only saying that because she wants me to discuss more. But, yeah, I I feel a little embarrassed saying it. But uh, <laughs> I used to, I used to uh, walk by the girls' room and uh, – rip a little little toot a little fart out <laughs> i used to do it all the time I, I i i just i still i'm still living in my my elementary days i still think a a little a fart is hilarious like if someone gets <laughs> on my accident i don't know i just makes me laugh right well i started i started uh walking by danielle nonstop and just ripping a little fart and i'd always record her reaction and i'd say danielle what are you doing so we ended up having like a little mini movie of danielle oh my god danielle again so i had a little like 10 video clip movie from the apartment of danielle not again danielle it was just and then i made like a little movie and uh I don't know. They kept laughing at me, so I kept doing it. It's one of those things, you know, once you cross the line, you know you got to stop, right, especially in that situation. But the way it was going, it was so funny, and Sam and them didn't mind. They were laughing. They were having a good time. So 
I think I add a, an extra uh, boost of uh, fun to any team event or trip. I think that's just the way I am. I always have been like that. I've been offside many times, but <laughs> I'm the type of person that's done it so much now that I get away with more than the average folk. Because <laughs> they, they expect it, you know? They expect it of me. They expect so, a, not, good, a good toot. Yeah. Not I mean, only I, you're not <laughs> denying the allegations, you're actually admitting to even more. This is like getting charged with robbery. To be honest, saying, I am. Hey, but you forgot that I was carrying a gun and I assaulted the person on the way in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I got to get it off my back because uh, I, could, I have potential to be the next, well, not the next, but the future Canadian prime minister. And I got to get these things <laughs> off my back now because I don't want to be like Trudeau and the blackface thing comes up or something crazy crazy like that right I gotta I gotta I gotta let all my sins out on on my podcast and my my social media just so uh you know things don't backfire right smart get ahead of it so he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't have a future in law but maybe in politics Stuart. <laughs> yeah I mean uh, if you ever need a platform to share more of these stories we're here for you <laughs> yeah yeah you know I, no it's it's good to tell stories so I mean there's always I mean, that, that, that one's a little whatever goofy, but there's so many good stories we all have throughout the years, right? Especially with squash and traveling. You get such crazy different new experiences. Um, and obviously, depending where you go, you want to you wanna make, you know, I'm not really much of the guy to go touring and exploring cities when I'm on the tour. But I mean, depending where you go, you, you got it. You got to see something, whether it's for, for a day or after the event, right? There's just so much... Uh, you're missing out on when you just travel and sit in your hotel room or at the club the whole time. You gotta, you gotta like, you know, let your shoulders drop and loosen up a bit, but without, without, you know, getting tired or overdoing it while you're, while you're playing and competing. It's my Arthur, way of looking. Arthur Stewart, any, uh, any, any, did you have any good roommates that did some fun stuff like that with you? Uh, anyone you avoided on, uh, on the roommate list? I don't think I, it's, I mean, I've got to keep it Disney, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we've already crossed the PG threshold with. I, I thought maybe that was still PG thirteen. Yeah, little, yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I I'm not going to cross any lines. I'm not going to tell you all my my story. But I tell you, the worst uh, roommate I ever had was Crackers, Mark Krychek, <laughs> the guy from Hungary. I, uh, Great player. Uh, we were sharing a room a couple of times. And, you know, Monday night, first rounds the next day, Tuesday, can't wait, pumped and ready to go. And all you'd hear, you'd look over and you'd, you'd hear the sound of, uh, without looking over, excuse me, you'd hear the sound of, you know, like a laptop just when it's on, it makes a, a sound. And then you just like peep one eye open. And there's the big man. He's like playing like online poker. You know, not off. Wake up again at 6 a.m. And he's still playing poker online. <laughs> that used to do my nuts because you just you, you'd always have this like buzz in the back of the back of the thing, and every now and again, be like, <laughs> <laughs> or it'd be like, yes. <laughs> my best story is probably so I used to share a room quite a lot with Chris Small, who I guess most listeners won't know, but was on the national team for Scotland. Very very good player, um, but I remember one Europeans. I got a knock on my door. I'm, I think it was a room of three with me, Chris, and Alan Klein. And there was this knock at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, me and Alan are in bed, asleep, and we get up to open the door. It's the last night of the tournament, so we're flying home the next morning and like 
four or five hours. And I open up the door and Chris is standing there with the fire extinguisher like a ghostbuster. <laughs> <laughs> and he just sets it off everywhere. And I've never witnessed anything like this in my life. Like I always thought fire extinguishers were like some sort of foam from water, but it's like this blue powder that just went everywhere. And he also <laughs> couldn't turn it off. Once you set it off, it just unleashes the entire contents of the fire extinguisher. So we're then stuck with this room, like Klein gets woken up with this blue smoke and we're like <laughs> coughing out the window. It was absurd. Uh, yeah, he was, he was one of my best roommates, but on that occasion, I could have literally killed him. <laughs> that, that reminded me of a good one that I had. Uh, it was one of my last college individual nationals and um, – most people don't have to play on the Sunday, so there's always a bit of bit of social, which is like the one time a year you get to hang out with some of your friends from different teams. And uh, one of my buddies, uh, not not going to throw him under the bus here. Maybe we'll, we might have to get this guy on to defend himself. But uh, oh, then you can I, name him. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, he he runs he runs out the room butt naked in the hotel, and he starts jog, he starts running around the hall. And I, I try and start chasing him to get him back in the room so we don't get in trouble. And as I'm kind of like, you know, 50 feet from our door, trying to, trying to yell at him to get back in the room, he turns around and starts chasing me because he's butt naked and I don't want to touch him. <laughs> so then he ends up chasing me back into our room. So it ended up working, but just not in the way that I imagined. Um, and that was good. I think that might have been like the Williamstown Inn, like the sleepiest little town in America. Um, and it's just like one long hallway. So if anyone would have walked out their door, they would have had a treat. Um, but yeah, good times. Always good. Uh, yeah, there's always some funny stories with roommates. I I've tried to on tour. Usually, I try to stay with you know one of my friends, someone I you know I know very well and don't mind sharing a room with but obviously uh sometimes that's not how it goes so you can get a weird weird mixture i think thinking of yeah the prank stuff like you were mentioning the fire extinguisher when i was at in in 20 or 2008 when i was at my first world juniors we had two guys who were 18 and two guys that were 16 on the team so the older guys would always prank us so some days we'd open the door, there'd be a bucket of water that you get the tsunami all over us. Uh, they put x lax in one of our water bottles and they threw them around and they didn't know whose it was. And they're just waiting for someone for the whole day. They're kind of on us asking us these funny questions like, you okay? And any issues kind of thing. <laughs> And then next thing you know, like, you know, maybe eight, eight hours later, the first guy goes to the bathroom and you can just tell something is up, you know, they keep asking you and, and hoping that you're the one uh, having the stomach issues. But that's the, some of the, you know, stuff you dealt with when you're younger. I guess when you're older, guys aren't pranking you like that as much anymore, but there's always that guy. There's always yeah. a sneaky guy. Sounds like that guy's you half the time. <laughs> They're just... They're not, they're not yeah. slipping the axe slacks. They're just tooting on you. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. That's my pillow, buddy. <laughs> no. So, uh, so cool. Nico, uh, we've, we've talked a bunch about, uh, what it means. You know, Stuart and Arthur, um, have done it way, way, way more than I have. But, uh, 
talked a lot about like what it means to play for your country. And I know that that means a ton to you and, and you're planning on doing that a lot more over the next few years and kind of leading the way. Um, we don't know if that's the, the, the greatest thing from a maturity standpoint for team Canada, but, uh, I think, um, people are going to have a lot of fun, uh, with you, with you as the captain. Um, but yeah, so talk a little bit about what it means for playing for Canada. And then I saw yesterday on Facebook, you posted a pretty unreal, uh, recount of you you reposted a, a 2010 story from ecuador so we wanted to get you to do a little table read of that of okay. that facebook post when you're 18 years old yeah yeah no uh i i've always had an amazing time representing canada i mean it all started in juniors once you make the world or team canada to go to world juniors i mean that's like I just remember that feeling, how excited I was when I was 16, going to my first World Juniors. And that was in, in Switzerland, uh, in Zurich, in 2008, when I was 16. And then 2010 was, was Quito, Ecuador. So, um, going, uh, yeah, having the privilege and, you know, being a good enough player for Canada Juniors to go twice is, is amazing. I got to, those are two of my favorite junior events, two of my top five uh, experiences in juniors, definitely. Um, you don't get that team aspect in squash, obviously. So that actually, it kind of changes the environment and brings a different type of fire to your belly. Um, and I've had, yeah, over the past few years, I've had the privilege to play for the, the men's national team um, with Pan Am Games last year, Pan Am squash the year before, and now I've been to two uh, men's world team championships, which is um, amazing in itself, just because if you're not playing in the top tier events, uh, like, you know, like many of us guys, you don't get a chance to play with the top, top guys in the world. You know, I've had the chance to play matches against the top 10, top 20 guys at those events being either one or two or so for Canada. So, um, when you get on court with guys that you're, you know, even idolizing or, or watching or, you know, even studying their game just to maybe even take things from them, it's a pretty cool feeling. Like, I remember my first men's world teams playing Golche. Uh, that was the year I played you, Arthur, actually. Yeah, I, I was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I did, same pool. But that was, like, such a cool experience because, um, you know, I'm – watching guys like Golche, he's kind of, you know, similar body type to me in a sense. Like I've always enjoyed watching those strong, fast, powerful guys on court. Um, and obviously his charisma, his entertainment value is, is next level. So I've always appreciated that. So then when you get a chance to play guys like that, it's, yeah, you're, you're not like scared or anything, but you definitely, when you're on court in the warm up and you got Golche blasting the ball, 300 miles per hour and the balls the balls bouncing up to your shoulder in the warm-up you're like okay I see how it's gonna be today you know like this is uh, this is the big show um, and yeah I mean when you when you get wins and, and stuff for Team Canada it's a different different feeling when you're getting a big team win um it's great when you have guys say you lose you have guys pull through and get the win for you as well that's uh you know the accountability obviously still lies on you, but it's nice to have that team factor where, you know, if you let yourself down, you got guys to pull you up out of the gutter as well. And uh, yeah. And the team, the team bond is just different. You know, you're playing for your country. It's a, it's an amazing thing to do regardless of any sport or age you are. Right. 
Big time, yeah. Many more to come. Many more to come, hopefully, yeah. It'd be great to to end my squash career com- competing with Canada for sure and having some, some more big big events and caps again with the country. So we'll see. Yeah. And do you, uh, like that was around the time after you graduated from Cornell, you moved to Toronto and you kind of had a bit of a purple patch, to be fair. Like you came on, you rocketed up the rankings, won a couple of 10Ks and mm-hmm. soon after you were, Canada's top player, national champion, and that would have been around the time. Yeah, I guess towards the end of that time was like when you got to world, not got to world team. Excuse me, you you certainly earned that right as Canada's number one that year. What what do you think you kind of have to do for your own game to make that next level, to make that big jump? I mean, from personal experience, from playing you, and I, and I I've said this before, and this is before Chris and I, you know, started the podcast and Stuart, but yeah. I always I always sort of felt like from watching you play you were one of those players that you, you had a bit of a bit of Gaultier in, in the sense of entertainment value, which you've obviously shown that goes beyond the squash court with, you know, farts and videos and what have you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you do have, if you don't mind me saying, go on. Like, oh, <laughs> it, does, it does me, my good man. But no, seriously, like, on, a, on a serious level, like you, you can play and you got a lot of really good assets. You got a lot of layers to your game. What do you think is kind of from Nick, who's like, 50 to 80 in the world like what do you got it what do you feel you need to do to make that next jump that level I think uh yeah I've always been like kind of a, a head case like internal like thinking thinking a lot when things aren't going my way and, and stuff like that so I I'd say a, a lot of I mean I'd say a, a big thing is consistency is 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 being in the right mindset um you know going for it as well you can't really you can't really half-ass anything when you're doing something like this. And I've definitely done that at times where you get in a, a routine of training, but I found at times where I'm not, you know, I'm not kind of present and my focus isn't there. I'm just kind of maybe routinely showing up and, and putting in the work, but not, uh, you know, paying attention to all the little details that you really need to work on. And, and a lot of that comes with consistency and, and, and being healthy and smart with how you're training. Plus for me, at this point in my career, I just want to be surrounded with other good players. Um, I've been in Toronto for for five years now, and there's there's some good players there, uh, but there's not as many pros training out of Toronto anymore. There's only a, there's only a couple guys that you know are PSA top hundred quality, and and there's no real team training environment. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my plan, I went to Prague for a month in January and I trained with guys like Golche and, and, and a few guys there. And they just had a great, a great team with coaches. You had the trainer massage, you had the CrossFit gym we used a hundred meters away. That is something I need. I just kind of need to show up and have everything set up. If I could be in a good training environment like that, I think that just uh, elevates your game. And when you're around guys who are who have done it before and who are a high level, I think it's, it's hard not to want to work hard like them. And, 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 and when you see how guys like Golche, how hard they work still at their age, it's like, you know, you can't, you you can't even do half the stuff they do uh, in a sense of like the, you know, the ghosting drills he does and that it's like still intense. So I think, uh, yeah, I want to be surrounded with other good pros at this point. I want to be, being smart with my body. I've had some injuries, especially my shoulders, just not really, I've had just ups and downs with my shoulder. It just kind of goes on me. I've, I've had issues this whole, whole quarantine, actually, all of a sudden I, 
I woke up with some issues, so I haven't seen physio. But um, yeah, I want to make my squash career last, and I want to, I want to, um, you know, get kind of talking. I want to, I want to be like a student of the game again. I found like I've, I've, I've learned a lot. I've done a lot of things, and you know, picked up on things of, of my own to help my squash game. But uh, I think it's good to have other, you know, coaches and people in the background. Any pro athlete has had some type of team to build their foundation or get them where they are. You don't see any other pro squash players at the top uh, doing like what I do. I mean, I'm in Toronto on my own, doing my own training. I have guys you text up and you train with, you do good stuff. But I think uh, I need to talk more squash with someone and have someone like overlooking my game and helping me get to that next level as well. Um, yeah. which is tough because yeah it's not so much here it's, it's you got to make the move I think and or yeah. have a place you can call your second base that's going to help you uh, improve I think, yeah it'll probably help but the idea of going to Prague maybe even with, like personal growth as well and being surrounded yeah. by the likes of Gaultier is like almost like a soundboard where you see what yes. he does and you can like trial and error and filter what really works for you I guess and yeah and you have the European connection with other players you can you can go to places and train other places and link up with guys that are coming to tours uh, on the tour with you. Right. That are your, your buddies now, but you know, they're like anytime you want come, you know, I've definitely got some invites over the years to go train in Europe or the States with some of the, some of the foreign guys there. And uh, yeah, I haven't always said yes to it. And then, you know, last year I was like, what's, what's the holdup? What are you waiting for? You know, you've had, you know, two, three years where you've been sitting at a good PSA level and, you know, being one of the top guys in Canada, I think it's time to, you know, let your wings spread and, and get out of there. Right. So that was my initial uh, thing in, in January. I just, I got a, a message from my one buddy, Juan Vargas from, uh, from Colombia, And he was saying, Oh, it's great here. I love it. Um, so I kind of just committed to it and I didn't regret it at all. It was amazing. So I definitely plan on doing stuff like that more in the future. And now that I'm moving back, I'm, I'm back home. Uh, White Oaks is an amazing facility, great club, great courts, a great gym. But uh, I need that squash component that I don't have there. So that's why if I'm being, if I'm home, I save some money. I use that now. Go somewhere else for two, three months and start training. Happy days. And, yeah. That was the one thing uh, Alex Goff said a couple of weeks ago. Any advice to some of the young players was just to go to go to an area where there's lots of players you can train with and play with and learn from. Especially when you're younger on the tour, it, you know you're you're new to everything. You're keen. Uh, you know you're still you're, you're focused. You're excited to get on the tour. It's good to be around some good guys that um, are gonna help you out and. And you can just study them while you're, you know, when you're training with them, you're just learning. You're just doing what they're doing and you're picking up new things, new ideas. And it's only going to help your game, especially when you're getting on court with guys that are, uh, you know, a level or two or three above you at the end of the day, it's only going to help you. And, and a lot of guys, a lot of good guys just, you know, I don't mind hitting with guys much weaker than me. As long as they're there, they show up on time. They're, they put in the hard work with you. They're not whining, complaining. I mean, you all have your days where you're training hard. Your body's not 100%. And it's tough mentally, but if you can just get a, a, a group of guys together, it's amazing. Like now that I'm back home, I, I'm inviting guys to come 
come stay at my mom's house. I've got two extra beds and I've got a club uh, less than 10 minute drive away. So I'm, I'm like uh, telling some of my good friends, like, yeah, whenever you want to come through here, you can stay here for free and train with me at White Oaks. It's an amazing facility and uh, I'm keen, you know, so that's tell something. Them they can't, tell them they can't play with my Game Boy though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sold it. I sold it to the blind kid Petey next door. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a yeah, dumb and dumb. Dumb and dumb, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it about a hundred times. You <laughs> sold my broken Game Boy to Petey? <laughs> it still has sound. <laughs> hey, I bought your birthday gift with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to have a your your Facebook. You know, you don't have to read a word for word if you don't want, but you can give us a little rundown. I'll um, look at because I wa- I wanted to have a good. Uh, I I thought this I more so than than a lot of people love a good squash party. I mean, part of the reason I love the SDA tour and I and I love playing some of the adult events currently are just like the super fun kind of you know live band dance parties and. Uh, there aren't many better dance parties than with a squash crew. I've come to learn. Um, yeah. We had a couple good ones after the national championships at uh, in Toronto the last few years, Nico. But uh, give us start us off with your 2010 Ecuador World Junior story, and then I want to hear from Stuart and Arthur uh, their uh, their favorite kind of squash party or, or dance party memories. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, I was, I was, I came across my Facebook the other day and they have the memories now um, in the settings. And I saw this old photo from my 2010 World Juniors in Ecuador. And it was uh, the three guys on the team and myself um, at a bar. And one of the guys has a beer in his hand. It's funny looking back on it now because if you posted something like that while you were like away, uh, you know, you get in trouble. It doesn't matter where you're from. It's just, I feel like things are a little more tense now and everything, but uh, yeah. So, so the week before we flew to this city called Embado, which is maybe four hour drive from Quito where the worlds were. Um, and we go to this pretty nice hotel downtown and the concierge is a 22, 23 year old girl who went to school in the States. She spoke great English and we were, you know, a group of Team Canada athletes coming to this random city in Ecuador, and we were training at a, a club nearby. Um, so, you know, she starts talking to one of the guys, and he says we're like 21. He kind of just says that, you know, we're 21, and, you know, we're going with it. Okay. Uh, we don't have any, you know, he looks 21, but we all look still like babies. But, uh, yeah, so she invites us out. She invites us out, um, tests out some of the Ecuadorian nightlife. So we're, we're 20, 30 minutes from the hotel in the middle of the city that I don't think uh, most people would be hanging out in. And we go, we go up to this brick mansion looking place. The front door has two or three guys with bandanas covering their face. And in my story, I mentioned, you know, thanks to COVID, that's a norm now. Okay. It's not a big deal. A guy with a bandana, right? But they all have machetes in their hand. Now, this is like hardcore local uh, Ecuadorian uh, streets. Like, we we don't belong there. We all have – in the photo, it's hilarious. We've got a ginger guy with a a yellow shirt on, automatic standout. 
<laughs> Automatic. They don't have they don't have ginger guys in Ecuador. As soon as you see that guy, it's like, is it who's this Jesus, right? And then we gotta we gotta two myself and Tyler, just two two normal looking white dudes. But I've got like I've got more color on than anyone. I've got a rainbow of, of clothes on. And and then we have my buddy Arjun who's uh just an Indian fella on the team. So we get in this bar, we have a few beers and uh we don't really want to go to the dance floor or anything. It's crowded. Like this is the, this is the, you know, South American dance party. These guys could be in a 10 by 10 room and still have a hundred people. Right. So this is a packed dance floor after an hour. Or so we get the courage to go out on the, on the, onto the dance floor. And right as we walk into the area, uh, Michael Jackson comes on Billy Jean. And if you know me, Michael Jackson, one of my first albums I ever had. I used to pull off the leg kick, the spin, when I was like six years old. So I've been doing this dance move every year my whole life, probably for like 18 years. I'm just a huge Michael Jackson fan. So Billie Jean came on. We get a space on the dance floor, and we're all dancing, the four of us. And I swear to God, everyone just starts staring at us, right? I pull off the Michael Jackson leg kick, the little spin. I do the little hip grab and everything, and... We're feeling great. We're in a good vibe. You know, I had a few beers. And uh, and then next, you know, everyone just clears out. I said in my story, everyone clears out. It's just, it's like someone just shat their pants. <laughs> everyone was staring at us like something was, was wrong. Like we were, you know, we were criminals or something. Like we had just done something bad. It was, so we we're all a little like, you know, we started laughing. We don't know what to do. Like it was literally... 50 people touching us dancing. And then next thing you know, everyone's staring at us and we're in the middle of this dance floor. And then, uh, you know, by the end of it, we just had such a good time. No, no one, you know, talked, talked to us or anything. And, uh, by the end of it all, it was so fun. It was the week before the teams. We had a few beers, amazing bonding experience. Cause a lot of us hadn't really done that together, the four of us. And then, uh, you know, we went on to have an amazing two weeks there. And I think it helped with uh, our your, our acclimatization of the uh, ten thousand feet altitude. You know, a few wobblies. You gotta get you gotta get some nighttime dancing in too, right? So uh, it worked out to be amazing, and we we got bronze medal that year at the world teams, which was uh, you know amazing thing. But to be honest, I, I'd say that was a fun experience. But but at the uh, at the function that year, that was that was messy. I've never seen more guys. Uh, yeah, you know, get really messed up and sloppy because it, it's it's a big deal. I mean, you got all these guys who are like in their under under nineteen, and you're at world teams, and they bus us to this nightclub with fifty guys, and uh, and they as soon as you walk in the club, you get a like a credit card style thing. Every every drink you order, they just swipe it, give you the card back. So we get the drunkest guy on the team to have the card. He throws it at the end of the night assuming, oh, I don't have to pay now. I don't have a card. They wouldn't let us out of the bar, and we have to be at the <laughs> hotel. And we have to leave from the hotel in 40 minutes, and we still got to take a taxi back. So that ended up being a wild night with, uh, you know, carrying people through the airport and people not, you know, almost getting turned down on their flight. So that was uh, that was a pretty funny, wild junior junior time back then. Those team events, something else happens there. There's something wild about it. <laughs> Everyone gets fired up. I mean, the, just it's just the way it goes, right? You're just in a different different uh, scene. 
So, and you get to see who's the wild guys and who's the, who's the tame ones when it comes to that. You can see who's the guys when they go back home, uh, know how to have a good time off the tour. <laughs> Stuart, you, you said some of your only big nights have been after those team events of the last bunch of years, right? Yeah. <laughs> Two of the three times that I've drank in the last, 18 years have been after those sort of team events. You're right. It's just, I remember the last one, by the way. <laughs> I don't think they were that bad, really. The last one was my birthday. The next day was my birthday. We were flying on my birthday home from Washington at the world team. So Happy that birthday. night, yeah, it was, Oh, you were there at the function, right? That night. Justin I, Weiss with the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was a rough night. I've had some wild. My first world teams was wild as well. The the one in uh, Nantes, uh, Marseille. Or sorry, Marseille, Marseille. Yeah. Sorry. I remember that actually. You boys, because uh, I was rooming with Sean. I think you boys came in at like six a.m. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They found this little hidden dungeon spot with a metal door. You open the knock on the door. You open it. This seven foot, seven foot. Uh, guy literally i thought it was shaquille o'neal at the front door and he's you just say hey and he just doesn't say a word oh let you in and everyone's smoking cigarettes and uh in this little den and then next thing you know literally two hours later it's like four in the morning and there's instead of eight people there's a hundred people there like just that's how it goes in europe you got these crazy folk let me tell you they do things differently there everything here in north america is like Oh, 2 a.m., bar is closing, last call at 1, you know? it's uh, That's it's the new world to you. Oh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, thinking of, thinking of the good party times on tour, so, like when I've been to South America and places like that, it is, it is madness. Those guys don't go out till 1 a.m., and then they're out till 6, right? It's crazy. They do everything different there. It's the opposite. So some <laughs> of my some of my – you know, last tournament of the year a few years ago was Brazil. So we're with a couple 10Ks down in South America. That was a wild time, let me tell you. That was a, that was a boy's night out, if, if I've ever seen one. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing the Macarena and Salsa at 5 <laughs> in the morning uh, with my shirt unbuttoned. I don't even know what's going on anymore in those places. But, but hey, it's great. It's great times, let me tell you. I don't regret anything. you got to have a fair... An even keel of fun and, and, and being serious. So, I mean, you can have a lot of fun, but when it comes to drinking, you got to be smart. You can't be uh, messing with the, the booze because, as they say, you booze, you lose, right? At least I say that. You, <laughs> you booze, that you lose. <laughs> I still remember my, my first time as coach of a Scottish junior team was the under-19 Europeans in, I want to say, 2006. I'm not going to name the three players, but last night comes around and everyone knows that they're going to go and party and have a few drinks. And I'm quite a young coach. I was probably like 25 at the time. So I'm like, right, I know it's going to happen. I'm not going to be that guy that tries to put an, a stop to it. So I gave them three rules. I don't want anyone thrown up. I don't want anyone getting in a fight. And I don't want anyone getting caught drinking by another coach. By the, within four hours, all three rules have been smashed. <laughs> <laughs> at, each at one by same, a different at, person. So the three the, of them had all <laughs> taken care of one of the rules each. And at two the same of those, time. teamwork. <laughs> can, can, you guys, can you guys imagine, though, that like at the Pioneer and Dutch junior tournaments, I used to play those when I, I played the Pioneer and Dutch when I was 15 and 17. I remember like 12-year-olds 
uh, like not saying people I was with, but just like you're at the, the function at the pioneer in Germany and they're letting 16 year olds drink at the bar at the party. They got a DJ dance party. The next thing you know, I probably had a few as well, but, uh, <laughs> but those tournaments were wild. Those tournaments, like for a junior tournament to have the kids partying. And that's the only place I've ever seen that in my lifetime. And let me tell you, it was a hell of a time. Let me tell you, Archie. Oh, listen, <laughs> I remember those days at the Dutch Junior Opens far out. What was, what was your best uh, last night out, Stuart, at a tournament? Ooh, big question. Um, That's why I asked it. I can't actually remember any that stand out. One, one from PSA that stands out was a guy that you know pretty well, Andre Marr, down in oh, Atlanta. The legend. Um, Shout out, Andre. He is <laughs> he a legend. He used to put on a PSA, I think he still does every year down there. Um, and I think I played it twice, but one of the years I played it, he had organized VIP entry to a nightclub and he had this like limo like bus taking us downtown and we get out and the, the security are all set up like they've been spoken to in advance and we just sort of slide by the, the entry queue straight into the nightclub and then we've got our own little private booth on the, over on the side. So that was pretty sweet. So yeah. I know from speaking to a few guys that Andre back in the day used to do a phenomenal job of that. I don't know if it's still as sort of. Yeah, I've played, I've played a bunch of Andre's events and I'd say, yeah, when I first started playing in 2014 or 15 on tour, uh, he definitely would host a night out if, you know, like a function for everyone. And sometimes depending where there were, set up like that it was yeah he, he did a good job good good job he knows how to treat the players everyone gets along with him that's why he's the legend yeah. andre legend mauer he's he's changing his name from andre to legend legend mauer that's what they're gonna call him from now on i think legend has it he used yeah. to in those early days like his tournament was my second psa event and there was a, it was a 10k and after the semi-final there was a day break and then there was the final so that everyone could go out and hang out on the Friday night down in Buckhead, Atlanta, and go, and same gig, exactly as Stuart described. And I was 18 at the time. So, and obviously, you know how strict it is in the US. But because there was a VIP party, it was like, come on with me, you know, so he kind of took me under his wing. And so I'm this 18-year-old in this nightclub in Buckhead, Atlanta, just blown away by what I've seen from a little <laughs> town like Carlo in Ireland to see what I saw that day. <laughs> uh, Atlanta is, yeah, wild. Wild. Good times. Good times, yeah. The best. More good times to come. Absolutely, yeah. Sorry for, for you, maybe. You. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for you. That'd We're all going downhill from here. Yeah. You might. Uh, we, have, we have to make sure people don't have too good of a time now. Yeah, I should start documenting them, I guess, for future reference. All right, well, uh, Nico, it's been great to have you on. It's great to see you. We hope you enjoy your first hit back on court today. You know, you should listen to episode one with Derek Ryan, the PSA physio. He might, there's a couple of tips in there so you don't get injured. <laughs> I will. No, I'll make but, uh, sure I've been to your guys' podcast. You guys have a, done a great job, let me tell you. I love the blend of your accents and everything to it. makes you guys sound like geniuses out here. <laughs> when you got Stuart, Stuart's an intellect. You could tell. Same with you, Arthur. And then you got Chris. He kind of sounds like me. We have a similar tone to our voice. So it's kind of when I listen, I'm kind of like, okay. Shut up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. So you guys know, 
Yeah. I joked at the start that the, the blend of accents is perfectly mixed. So that it is. as soon as you start listening and understanding one of us, someone else talks and you have no idea what we're saying. So yeah. we just talk bullshit and no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's great. It's good. You guys are doing good. I love the podcast. Let me tell you, it's been a good, good insight, and good chat. If you can yeah. tell a friend and get us up to 43 followers on Twitter, that'd be great. Yeah, that would yeah. be amazing. I'm actually not much of a Twitter guy these days, but, uh, I'll I'll get I'll get it going if you want. Yeah, well, you, you can tell a friend, and we can get up to forty-five listens. I can tell a friend. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. We're having yeah. good. No, thanks for having me, guys. I can't wait to get on court again, and uh, especially today. Best man, off. best best man speech coming along for next week. Indeed, yes. Chris is <laughs> wedding next week. I actually another great you, mind gone. Funny you mentioned. I got the booklet here with some notes from yesterday. Ooh. I am preparing to <laughs> roast you. Chris, I have to say, so, you know, similar, I got a younger brother, Brian, and he was the best man at my wedding, at our wedding. And his speech was absolutely brilliant, but and it tore shreds out of me. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was class. But what he did at the very end of, of the, uh, he's in the microphone. And then at the end of it, and everyone's kind of laughing and, and applauding. And he goes, Mike drop, drops the mic. <laughs> right? And of course, that was funny. We all had a good laugh out of it. The manager from the from the venue came over. He says, he whispers in his ear, and I'm sitting beside him. He says, "That microphone's broken. You're paying for it." <laughs> <laughs> it's a good uh, lesson. Well, that was fun, fellas. Yeah, yeah happy days. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. Sorry if I crossed any boundaries, but no, I feel all- yeah, we're gonna have to up our uh, our suggested listener age. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Explicit content. <laughs> there's, a, there's a setting on the um, podcast app where I think you can state that it's explicit or yeah, yeah. swearing involved and stuff like that. Hey, this is like a Joe Rogan podcast, except they're <laughs> 10 times worse when you think about it. So there's podcasts that do well. Those guys are saying and, some other- And one millionth, one tenth of a millionth the listeners or hundredth. You're right. You're right. <laughs> hey, listen, Joe Rogan started somewhere. All right, fellas. Happy days. Happy days. Have a great one. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, guys. Have a good one, Arthur. Cheers, Nick. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Nice one. Wrap it up there, fellas. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Chris. Episode 12 in the bag. Happy days. Thanks again to Nick Sackley for taking the time out of his best man speech. Don't go easy on him. I think it's fair and safe to say you definitely won't. (laughs) Uh, Quite a character. What a gay quality player as well if you get the chance to watch him play very entertaining to watch plays a really attractive game of squash and don't be so surprised if you do see the name Nick Safi climb rapidly up the world rankings he genuinely has the potential to do some real damage to all the listeners we really appreciate you guys listening in if you did like what you heard please don't be shy and sharing it with your pals and we are on all major and probably minor podcast platforms including iTunes and Spotify and you can check us out for any updates on Facebook Instagram and Twitter. Have a great one. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>